Dad, I got a fish. Father's Day, the day to say thanks to the most important guy in the world. This year, get him what he really wants at Cabela's Father's Day sale. Take 40% off Cabela's Tourney Trail Rods, $200 off a Traeger Liltex Pro Rods Grill, and $30 off Merrill Reflex Hikers and Mocks. Plus, spend $150 and get $25 in Cabela's bucks. Good on your next purchase. Minimum purchase required. See store for details. Come to Cabela's Father's Day sale. In-store and online at cabelas.com. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show. With your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good evening and welcome to the Bose Nose Show here from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And it's another beautiful day here out in Pacific Northwest, but we're going to get serious today because we're going to talk about Orlando and the shooting and the horrible hate crime that happened down there. Uh, I almost hate using the term hate crime because I think almost any time somebody gets murdered, there's hate involved. Uh, it's a horrific crime. And I'm using the late radio, and I'm going to pause for a moment of silence in memory of those 49 victims and the injured and their families. And if folks will um, just uh, kind of take a moment and just think about those families and those victims. So thank you for that. Um, it's you know been an interesting couple of days since that 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 shooting. You know, the, the immediate thoughts about what happened, who did it, what the motivations were, you know, seems to be almost more confused today than it was you know a couple of days ago. You know, was was the was Was he just posing as a gay to case the joints that he was going to commit a uh, horrendous act at later? Uh, all those questions haven't been answered. There's so many unanswered questions about motivation right now. But the one thing is obvious. Uh, the shooter you know, did call 911 during the act to pledge allegiance to ISIS, the terrorist group, and identified himself um, doing this in the name of Islam, which has been a... Um, you know, an interesting topic uh, over the last couple of days is the relationship between Islam and homosexuality. And, and that's, you know, I, I was hoping to get a professor from the University of Oregon on today who specializes in religious studies and, and Arabic uh, countries uh, to talk about that. Unfortunately, um, wasn't able to get him on, but there are some very interesting differences, uh, you know, because most of the Old Testament has some references to uh, against uh, gays and lesbians and homosexual acts in general. Usually, you know, punishment, you, know, you get into that Old Testament stuff. It's carried through into most of the um, modern Judeo-Christian and Islamic religion um, in, in some manner or fashion. But it's downplayed in most of them uh, in, in the more modern um, versions of, of Christianity, uh, even uh, the, the Jewish faith. But in the Islamic faith, um, it is definitely not played down. And, and it's to the point where some of the countries uh, where there is a separation of church and state, where the faith is state, um, they actually persecute uh, and round up and um, put to death homosexuals. Uh, Iran's the prime example, but it also happens in Saudi Arabia and a few other countries around the world um, where you know, Egypt, they're rounded up and charged with a charge that's very similar to prostitution, um, and they equate you know, homosexuals with prostitutes and, and um, 
their laws don't look too kindly on prostitutes either. But that's, uh, you know, you name the, the country that is, is now dominated by the Islamic uh, culture and religion, and they do not treat um, the LGBTQ uh, community very well at all. So, you know, the, some of the question gets to be, you know, is there room in Islam at all for tolerance of the, the gay community? Um, and if there's anyone out there that is Islamic, I'd love for you to call in. The number is 646-721-9887. Um, if you want to call in, just press 1 to get in on the show. Or you can email me at talk at krbnradio.net because I would really like to understand this from uh, another point of view. Uh, you know, as, as I grew up in the Washington, D.C. suburbs um, in, in a community that was far more diverse than where I am out here in Oregon now, uh, I had friends that were Islamic in elementary and middle school and high school. Um, because we had uh, enough of a diverse community there where we had folks there with various embassies and trade missions and you name it, uh, and folks that had resettled from areas. Um, you know, one of my best friends in fifth grade was a young boy by the name of Mustafa Kayomi, uh, was from Pakistan. Um, interesting uh, guy. You know, I went, you know, we took field trips in elementary school to mosque and, you know, experienced taking our shoes off at, at, at the door and touring a mosque. Uh, wasn't many opportunities in the 60s out in Oregon to do that, I don't think, but that's where I grew up. Even growing up with that culture near me, still feel like I am ignorant of a good portion of, of the teachings of Islam, other than what I've learned by you know, reading on the internet, hearing on you know, television and radio. Um, so anyone that, that you know, is out there that would like to, to that either you know, has studied Islam or is Islamic or Muslim wants to call in and, and talk to me about how Islam relates to homosexuality, I would love to hear it. Um, you know, but it, it is um, interesting what happens in, in the countries that, that basically are uh, Islamic. Um, you know, it, it's you know, a pretty serious thing uh, to be gay in an Islamic country. Uh, for the most part, it's a hidden portion of that country because there's such a fear of persecution. Uh, and, I, and it's interesting because the, the basis of that goes back to the story of, you know, Lot and Sodom and, and um, that's kind of, you know, even the Quran has that story in it um, and makes reference to that story because the, you know, all that basis in the Old Testament and coming from that area. Uh, why has Christianity moved beyond that? You know, why has, or most of Christianity, I won't say all, because there is a horrible um, quote from a Baptist minister from California over the weekend after the shooting where he thought it was a good thing and that it made Orlando a safer place um, which just was appalling and I don't think represents 99% of Christianity at all. But of course, that was a supposed Christian minister. Uh, but 99% of Christianity has moved beyond the Old Testament um, and, and how they treat um, the gay community, at least in tolerance, um, maybe not complete acceptance. Uh, the Jewish faith has, has moved beyond the Old Testament and, and, and acceptance of the gay community. Um, what is it about Islam that hasn't moved beyond that? Um, and 
what is it that, that you know where we hear about this cleric that visited the mosque in Orlando um, before the shooting uh, and preached to this mosque and there's there's uh, YouTube video of it of this guy saying that it would actually be kind to gays to kill them because then they could um, be uh, you know forgiven of their sins and death basically uh, so that that you know is surprising that that's you know just what is preached what is buried into Sharia law and some of the Muslim teachings so would love it if any of you want to call in again it's Six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven. Just press one to get in on the talk. Uh, you know, and it kind of why would somebody do this? And, you know, and it gets you know why would somebody shoot up a county uh, holiday party in San Bernardino? Why would somebody shoot up a uh, um, a recruiting center? In Tennessee, you know, why does somebody shoot a policeman in, in Paris? You know, why, you know, why shoot up an entire nightclub and, and pretty well know you're going to die? And that gets into another part of Islam that, that you know, differs from some of the other uh, modern religions. And we won't even get into Buddhism or Hindu or other faiths, um, you know, or even just the, the, the religions that all came based out of um, the Jewish faith uh, and, and the Old Testament. Uh, why such an acceptance of death? And why, why, why are you willing to die in, in, as a martyr and all that? Now that? That's something that is unique to Islam is this, this desire to uh, martyr yourself or to justify the killing of others uh, based on the religion, and particularly those that are not of your faith, uh, or, or worse yet, somebody that has left the faith and uh, is considered to be um, not worthwhile. And, and this cult, you know, it's been referred to as the culture of death that surrounds Islam and that whole idea of your rewards will come after you die, which kind of makes life pretty unimportant and not to be valued. It makes it easy to kill or to let yourself be killed in a, in a uh, suicidal attempt at martyring yourself. You know, it's defies reason to me that in today's world where you know, with the access to information that uh, educated people could believe that that um, life is so unprecious and that even if it's a life you disagree with a gay or a lesbian or a uh, somebody of another faith, or even somebody that left your faith, that their life is so unvaluable and that giving your life as, as part of also ending those lives um, is somehow or another going to be valued in death, that you'll be rewarded in death. You know, when you, when religions promote, you know, afterlife rewards, it tends to cheapen the life you're living right now. And I kind of, you know, gets to some of uh, the issues and how people can be driven to extremes in the name of religion uh, at times. So pretty heady stuff for Wednesday afternoon, but it was a pretty uh, horrific incident over the weekend. And trying to come to terms with how one person could manage to successfully kill 49 people injure 40 or more people uh, just boggles my mind. 
that, you know, there wasn't someone that managed to tackle, someone that managed to defend, uh, you know, it just, I, I, I guess all the details haven't gotten out yet. I don't know if he shot his way into the, into the uh, bar and the bar had, you know, metal detectors or whatever else to keep, you know, weapons out so that everybody inside was completely unarmed. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't in there, so I don't know how, you know, whether he was successful in maintaining a, a good distance from anyone around him, and that's why he wasn't tackled. Uh, my understanding was he walked back through shooting people that were on the floor uh, as people played dead next to some of the bodies that he, that he shot. It was kind of random whether he got shot or not a, a second time. Uh, yeah, so it's just there's a lot of stuff that's missing out of this, but it just uh, makes me wonder if there had been, you know, one or two people uh, carrying concealed uh, and trained at doing so, um, which you know, I'm getting ready to take my concealed weapons. Uh, uh, I've already taken my test and all that. I'm waiting to, to actually go through the application process and get my concealed weapons license, but. I train on a regular basis at a range where we actually set up um, practice situations with false walls and figures of good guy, bad guy, and stuff like that. You, you learn about entering and clearing buildings and making quick decisions and, and so that your practice in that um, split-second decision-making that you have to be when you're, when you're going to be arming yourself. But it just seems that... Um, even with uh, a semi-automatic weapon, because we know he was not armed with automatic weapons, contrary to some of what some politicians referred to it as, uh, you still have to change magazines. And just a little bit of education for some politicians that have commented on this, uh, a clip is not the same thing as a magazine. Uh, a magazine is what most modern uh, weapons use where the, uh, the rounds actually go inside a spring-loaded cartridge that feeds into the automatic, um, semi-automatic weapon. And uh, a clip comes from uh, some of the older weapons like the M1 that was issued World War II uh, and the Springfield Grand and a few others uh, where it was actually a metal clip that, you, that the bullets clipped into um, and that was uh, fed into the, the, the weapon uh, completely just for folks out there just in a use clip instead of magazine uh, when you're referring to having large capacity clips <laughs> Or something, uh, but even with a large capacity magazine, you still have to change out magazines. Uh, even semi-automatic weapons jam at times. Um, I heard one of the victims interviewed even even talked about the gun jamming at one point and the guy cussing over it jamming and taking him several moments to get it um, cleared and, and reloaded. And just wonder where was you know. Where was the one person that was going to jump up and tackle that guy in that moment? Um, and, you know, the guy got had to get lucky to be able to go on his rampage for as long as he did without that person there. I mean, the, the recent uh, um, Umqua Community College shooting here in Oregon in Roseburg, uh, there was somebody that jumped up and tried to, to stop the shooter. Um, and he suffered seven gunshot wounds in the process. But his delay of the shooter possibly saved multiple lives while folks escaped during, while he was confronting the shooter. Uh, you know, I just, you know, it, it, it's one of the baffling things about this situation was why so many? And why did it go on for so long before the police actually moved in and stopped it? But I guess those are answers we'll get over time, and I don't want to uh, do too much conjecture on them because usually conjecture turns out to be wrong 48 hours later. 
Um, so anyone wants to talk about this again, it's 646-721-9887. And I, I want to uh, ask my producer here, Robin, if she has any thoughts on, on Orlando at, at, at this time. Well, Jay, I, I kind of agree with you, especially the uh, on the comments about if could it have been minimized if concealed carry was common. You know, in other words, instead of my feeling is that uh, if most of the bad guys know that you're unarmed and can't defend yourself, it's like a shooting gallery. You're an open target, you know, because you can't defend yourself. And I just wonder if it would have been reduced if at least one person had a concealed carry and was trained to use it. Yeah, and that's basically, you know, I think the, the probably the, the greatest case of, of seeing that happen was Clackamas Town Center. Uh-huh. The shooter there, um, you know, opened fire in, in basically the food court of a shopping mall and somebody that had concealed carry actually, um, as, as the shooting progressed and got close enough, drew his weapon, the shooter saw him that he was armed and get a chance to shoot because being well-trained, he saw that he didn't have a clear backdrop that he would have they had victims, potential right. innocence behind the actual shooter chose not to shoot, but that forced the, uh, shooter, uh, to retreat into a stairwell where he ultimately committed suicide. Um, how many, you know, if he hadn't been confronted by that person with the concealed carry, how long would Clackamas Town Center have gone on? Exactly. You know, well, the same, and there's, well, the same would hold true that if you're walking down the street and most thugs, per se, know that you, chances are you're not armed, so again, you're easy pickings. Yeah, yeah, and, and it you know, it's sad that we have arm ourselves to some degree, but it's also been clearly shown that uh, cities that have attempted to disarm their citizens, the only people that end up armed are the criminals and those with bad intent. Uh, Chicago is the classic example. Uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. I can't tell you what D.C. was like in the 90s during the crack wars. You know, it got to the point where uh, shootings and murder were so commonplace, they were on page C3, which was the local section of the Washington Post, several pages in the listing of all the shootings of the night before or the weekend before. Uh-huh. Yeah. Whereas, you know, it, it was so shocking to uh, my wife and I, when we moved out here to Oregon to see a shooting be like front page news for days on the guard. <laughs> just one shooting, you know, we're just, you know, got, we were, we were numbed from it from the, from the early nineties, late eighties and the number of, of shooting deaths and DC basically has a gun ban, but yeah. sure doesn't stop the criminals. No. In fact, on, on that same, same matter, uh, living here in Lane County and I've been here the majority of my life, uh, we very seldom, and I was involved, uh, on the good side of the police department a long time ago. So I kind of had a little bit of insight this 10, 15 years ago. Um, we didn't have, I mean, yeah, we had burglars, we had whatever, very few shootings, very few murders. Uh, we did have somebody that was chopped up in a garbage can one time. That was disgusting. <laughs> but this year alone, how many calls have you heard or about on the news about shootings and dead bodies and whatever? Um, I think, uh, and I'm just, I don't have the numbers before me, but I think we've got more this year than we've had in the last 10 years. There was a pretty good spike um, in the last year or so because I do know that the sheriff's department was was pretty busy with some some pretty serious incidents of, of uh, violent crime and also our our uh, D 
DA's department, you know, those violent crimes take a huge amount of prosecution resources to prosecute. Um, but, you know, uh, statistics, you know, show that, that um, guns are used in defensive modes to stop a violent crime thousands of times a day. Yeah. You know, and, and the statistics vary from, you know, 50,000 times a year to 2 million times a year or so um, that guns are used that way. It depends on whose statistics you, you go by. But it's still far outnumbers the actual gun deaths in the U.S. It's the number of times it actually is used to, to stop harm because there's only about 30,000 total gun deaths of which about uh, over half are suicides. Um, so it, it's, you know, it just kind of makes you wonder in Orlando was, you know, what was the policy of, of the, uh, nightclub? Did they have metal detectors? Were they screening people at the door? Did this guy shoot his way in from the door? Cause I understand he engaged an off duty policeman at one point during his rampage, um, and exchange fire with him. Uh, the, you know, that at the door is that how he gained entrance uh, with his weapons or did he, did he uh, sneak him in somehow or another so I still don't understand quite the, the timeline of what happened there well two, two things um, number one how many people that have a concealed carry permit actually commit a violent crime and two, do we want to live in a society where going into a club, store, school, or whatever is like going through TSA at an airport? Yeah, it is. It is a good question. And, um, you know, statistically, and uh, it's been a while since I've looked these statistics up, but um, so I take these a little bit with a grain of salt because they're old statistics, but at least back in the 2000s, last time I went and did some serious searching about this, holders have lower um, statistics for crime than um, law enforcement officers do as a group. Mostly because law enforcement officers are suffering so much stress and, and job-related stress from, from that that they tend to be domestic situations. Not even, I wouldn't even say domestic violence, but just domestic situations where they get calls on, called on them. Um, not that they're bad people or anything like that. I think their jobs sometimes get them to the point where they get, get calls on them. But statistically, concealed weapon license holders are the least criminogenic group in our society. If you're, if you're willing to... Um, get trained and go through the licensing process and the background checks and all that, it tends to be you're, you're a pretty seriously good citizen. Uh, that That's not the folks that we're getting uh, committing a lot of the crime. So it is an in- interesting thing. Um, so it's one of those things where I don't feel unsafe um, with the knowledge that there might be somebody in the room of wherever I am that has a concealed weapon and a license to carry it. It doesn't make me nervous um, or unsettled. Just as I wouldn't be nervous or unsettled because there's a police officer in the room that happens to be armed. Um, It's just actually, you know, knowing somebody's there is probably a good thing. That may be the person, you know, that interrupts things long enough for me to uh, get out the door and be safe <laughs> and puts themselves between me and harm. And that's generally, you know, most people get them because they want to protect themselves and their family, but they also end up protecting a lot of other people at the same time. But it's, it's, uh, it's one of the interesting quirks about this particular incident is just how many victims there were of a single perpetrator. When I first heard the numbers, I thought, that can't have just been one shooter. This had to be multiple. 
they had to, you know, like get a crossfire going or something like that, or had a group of them so that they couldn't be easily tackled. How did one person manage to kill 49 people and, and shoot, you know, almost as many more? Uh, that's just still kind of makes, you know, I guess in the confusion, darkness of a nightclub, everything else, maybe people couldn't identify where the shooter was. I wasn't there. I may have been just as easily victimized as everybody else that, that was victimized that day. The real, you know, the real issue here is, is, is the person that perpetrated the crime and the evil that was in his, his mind to carry that out and what motivated that evil. And, you know, is it truly his faith that motivated that evil? And, is, you know, the call to, to 911 to profess allegiance to ISIS? Was he just um, mentally unstable and confused because he had these, you know, was he really, uh, you know, a, a homosexual uh, trying to deny it and still, you know, dealing with the fact that his religion completely banned his behavior, yet he couldn't help himself from his behaviors because it was his natural tendency. And this was an, uh, 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 an act of, of uh, self-mutilation uh, and rage uh, because of that, or was it driven by the teachings of his, of his, of his religion? We don't know yet. Those questions haven't been answered, but it's definitely tied to religion in general uh, and, and the Islamic faith in particular and its teachings concerning homosexuality, whether he did it because his faith teaches that homosexuals should be killed or whether he did it because he was mentally confused and unstable because his faith teaches those things, yet he had these natural tendencies to do those things. Um, either way, it goes back to the Islamic faith and their teachings. And the fact that it seems like, unlike every religion in the, in the world that has um, grown and evolved over time, you know, uh, you know the, the, the Christian faith no longer puts people in towers because they said the blasphemy that that the earth actually circles the sun, not the sun circling the earth, you know, and, well, and we no I, longer, yeah, we, we, we know. Go, I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say the Christian faith has gone beyond, you know, the, the actual persecution of non-Christians and the attempt to force them into conversion uh, as they did with um, Jews and, and Muslims in Spain during the Inquisition. So, you know, things have changed in the Christian religion. We're not, you know, I wouldn't think anyone would agree with the Inquisition or, you know, the, the um, you know, criminalization of the advancement of science that, that goes on, um, that went on in the Middle Ages. Um, you know, what is it about the Muslim faith that they just haven't seemed to grow? And in fact, there's even evidence in the last century they've gone backwards. Uh, you know, Turkey is a great example somewhat. Um, you know, the Ottoman Empire held sway over a good portion of, you know, Europe, the Middle East, North Africa um, for quite a long time kind of overextended itself uh, financially and collapsed financially and, and geographically. Um, reborn as the Republic of Turkey. Uh, definitively not a religious state, even though they were you know, majority uh, Islamic and Muslim. Uh, I you know, read some interesting an interesting book recently called Last Train to Istanbul, which is about how the Turkish uh, diplomatic corps was saving Jews from in France and getting them out of France and giving them fake Turkish passports to get them out of France during World War II. You know, 
think of it today, and, and they've elected um, uh, leadership now that's more leaning towards um, the Muslim Brotherhood side of, of, of Islam and starting to um, enforce some uh, religious laws rather than uh, you know the, the open acceptance that Turkey was, and it's changing a lot. Um, uh, you know, so it seems like here we had a, a state in, that in the early uh, 1910, 1920 was accepting of all religions and was known for their tolerance. And today it's getting to be dangerous for um, women tourists to walk by themselves in a city in Turkey because uh, the, the more fanatical um, Islamic folks there are willing to um, you know, do bad things to them because they're bringing it on themselves for being unescorted. You know, uh, it, it's you know why why does it seem like that? It's the one religion in the world that seems to be regressing in their views how they treat women and um, and how they um, apologize for that. Forgot to silence the phone before the show. Uh, you know, how they treat women. You know, it, this isn't just about their views on homosexuality. Uh, you know, it's, you know, that, that, what was the young girl's name in Pakistan that got um, shot in the head because she was promoting education for women? The 14-year-old girl or something like that. Uh, was it Malik or Malia? I can't remember what her name was. Um, but, you know, it, it's just over and over again you hear these stories where they're, you know, they won't let women drive in Saudi Arabia. Um, they can't go to school in, in, in parts of, of Afghanistan that are controlled by the Taliban. Um, women are second-rate citizens. You know, look what uh, Boko Haram has done in um, Nigeria, in that area, with, with women and 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 children, girl children in particular, um, where they stole those those kids and then turned them into suicide bombers, where they would turn them back loose wearing a suicide vest. Um, just horrible things. You know, and I just don't have an answer to that. I would love for somebody that maybe has a little bit more knowledge of Islam to call and, and set me straight on my thoughts that it seems like of all the religions in the world, this is the only one that seems to be really regressing. Uh, I just don't see um, any other religion that's that's moving away from what I would call reason and human rights and individual rights towards uh, a totalitarianism, um, uh, biased view that, that their faith is the only true and correct faith. Everyone else that isn't of their faith has no value as far as a life goes. Um, if you violate strictures of, of their of the, and tenets of their religion, uh, you have no value, uh, whether that's in homosexual behavior or, you know, walking alone as a woman, uh, you name it. You know, it's it, it just, uh, it just is, uh, seems to me that they're, they're really the, the, the one religion that seems to be regressive and oppressive, Regressing towards oppression is the best, I think, is the best way of putting it. Where I see you know, other faiths that have grown out of the oppression, you know, the Christian faith um, has grown away from being oppressive. Uh, you know, I don't know if you could ever claim the Jewish faith was oppressive. Um, it seems to always be the one that's that's the subject of oppression. Uh, you know, there was at one point, you know, the Buddhist. In, in uh, you know, went to war in the in, uh, Southeast Asia quite a bit. Um, there's a little bit, you know, misnomer about how peaceful some of them were at times. But they're they're now no longer considered to be a, a faith that's associated with war. Uh, you know, the Hindu faith seems to have, have grown considerably over time, although they still you know have have issues, you know, there in, in you know, Bangladesh and Pakistan, that, that region, 
Kushtan region up there in, in India with the with the Muslim religions. Um, but it's just, I I just don't see any other religion in the world you can point to and say they've got more oppressive, more violent, and, and more fanatical in the last century. Well, if I can jump in here for a second, maybe you've hit the nail on the head. Is that because of the beliefs in the Muslim religion about gays and stuff? If a Muslim is gay, the pressure um, about not being gay, maybe the Orlando thing was a case of suicide by cop because he couldn't. Uh, yeah. It's unfortunate that he had to take 49 other innocents with him, along with injuring. You know, dozens of others and you know, hundreds of other uh, relatives and family members that will be scarred for life because he couldn't handle what faith was telling him about his sexuality. Uh, Agreed. Yeah, it's just, it's sad. But that, you know, the, the, the mind that's been driven insane does bizarre things. And, and it's, it's not uncommon for that mind to take other lives on, on its own way out. Uh, yeah, which leads to the whole issue of, of you know, mental health and, and trying to, to reach people before they get to this point, which is something as commissioner you know, I'm highly committed to. I'd be pleased, at least with our most recent uh, budget that we're getting ready to approve next week, that it includes three new mental health positions in jail to actually interact with um, folks that have been taken into custody that may have uh, underlying mental health conditions, which we're estimating to be about 60% of our jail population. And most of them end up in jail because of behaviors related to that underlying mental health condition. So we're going to attempt to intervene and move to treat most folks in our jails and hopefully get them you know, whatever crisis they were in that got them into the jail in the first place and on a steady pass that won't return. Because uh, a lot of our resources get eaten up by what I like to call frequent flyers, which is the guys that, that aren't getting good treatment for their, their behavioral health conditions, and they're consistently... Uh, exhibiting behaviors that, you know, require them to be hauled into the jail for some reason or another. Uh, and it may not even be truly a criminogenic thing other than disturbing the peace, uh, which is a misdemeanor. And it's, it's sad they're taking up jail space. Um, you know, a jail bed's a very expensive treatment bed. Um, we, can, we can treat them in an actual mental health facility probably far cheaper than we can hold somebody overnight in a jail bed, you know, because right. of all the extra things that come with a jail bed in the way of security, uh, federally required, you know, uh, things we have to put together and all the other, um, you know, it's just not, it's not the right place to be treating people with mental health conditions. So hopefully we'll, you know, in providing those extra um, practitioners in the jail, you know, maybe we can divert one um, Orlando shooter that may be, you know, on his way to that, that point in his life or, you know, find that, you know, we had an incident here in Lane County where um, I can't think of any other good words to say it, but some punks in a park um, pushed a, um, a veteran of color to the point where he confronted them and then went back in his house and got his his, his, uh, his firearm, came out and shot one of them and then, then committed suicide himself. Um, you know, and he was definitely spring from a traumatic brain injury and PTSD uh, and we failed that veteran in being able to treat him. We also failed him in that we weren't um, dealing with these punks that were uh, racially harassing him and, and uh, disturbing him, constantly uh, feeding on his his his, uh, his traumas and his brain injury uh, and pushing him to the point where he committed a murder and then suicide. 
uh, and we lost two lives in the process. I'd love to be able to have the ability to get to some of these people early. And I'm hoping that you know, Lane County is doing a pretty good job of doing of trying to get to those folks. But it's one of those things. It's uh, yeah, it's a growing field right now. You you want to be employed for life? Go into mental health because I tell you, we are we are struggling to fill the positions we have funded um, because there's such a shortage of mental health providers. And I I I would encourage. Uh, you know, if your son or daughter's trying to make a career decision, and you know that's there's a couple places they can go. You know, they can always get into you know computer science or something like that. Possibly get employed there. Uh, you know, all these growing fields, but there's a field. You know, mental health or or even physical health. There's such a need for uh, primary care providers and practitioners. Uh, I guarantee you. Uh, if you go into those fields, uh, your son or daughter will be employed and employed at good wages for life um, if they want to be. So here's my pitch for a career. Um, <laughs> I, don't know how, I don't know how we got from Orlando and the shootings to uh, mental health careers, but we managed to do it. <laughs> We're all over the place. Yeah, and that's hey, some of the magic of the Bose Nose Show. <laughs> Exactly. In the 14 minutes we have remaining, 646-721-9887, if you'd like to join the conversation. Um, question to throw out there, and for you too, Jay, is that what is the answer? I mean, do we take away all the guns and have metal detectors and become a police state just for the illusion of being safe? Or how do we, how do we solve this problem, in your opinion? In my opinion, you know, taking away the guns is not the answer. And, and primarily because, you know, I'm such a strong believer in individual rights uh, and, and the rights of an individual. And an individual has the right to decide how best to defend themselves. And, and our Constitution even recognizes that in the Second Amendment, uh, that individuals have the right to bear arms. And uh, it doesn't specify what kind of arms. Uh, it just says you have that right, and uh, you know, and it's an innate right. It's it, you're born with that right. Uh, you, you can't have it taken away by you know government. And in fact, if you really read the Constitution, it talks about um, the, we, the people, form the government specifically uh, to protect those rights that you're born with. They didn't grant them, you know, uh, they didn't uh, create them. You had them to begin with. You were born with them, endowed by your creator, whatever you may envision your creator to be. Uh, Mom and dad, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, uh, True. But, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you know, what you know, or flying spaghetti monster, or whatever, whatever, whatever you envision that to be, you're born with those rights as an individual, and the government can't take those rights from you. In fact, we form that government to protect those rights. So I don't think taking you know all the guns away is the answer, and I don't think metal detectors everywhere is the answer. I think there's going to have to be some acceptance that in a free society, which I hope we can maintain, there is going to be some level of crime and some level of terror. Uh, yeah, it, it's horrible that 49 people were murdered, but there's a whole lot more than 49 people in the state of Florida or the United States. So when you start looking at you know, what your chances are of being a victim of a gun crime, uh, through the course of a year, it's pretty small. And, you know, one of the things we believe in uh, strongly, and I've had this discussion with people in our just, justice system, is we would rather let a guilty person go free. You know, that's that, that, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt, you're innocent until you're proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. So we'll let somebody who might be guilty, but there's reasonable doubt, go 
because we will not imprison somebody falsely who might be innocent. We don't want to take that risk. It's just, it's similar with these incidents, these shooting incidents and, and, and all, you know, hopefully the way to get to them is on the, on the front side and providing good mental health and, and kind of hoping folks don't get to this point. Now, how we actually battle the, the religion of Islam and its teachings that promote this sort of hate, or even the Westboro Baptist, or whatever this Baptist minister from California that, that shot his mouth off over the weekend. Um, how do you fight that? And I think that's in the, in the uh, arena of debate, intellectual debate, ideas, um, and discussing morals. Uh, you know, with these folks and, and, and questioning, you know, is your, is your religion moral? You know, do you truly believe that, that, you know, on one hand, you know, you're supposed to, you know, love your neighbor and, and honor life. And, and on the other hand, have your religion teach you to dislike somebody purely for, a behavior they um, don't involve you in. I, I, I thought of, you know, having a friend come on that, that, that's gay or lesbian and talk about this situation today, but I chose not to, particularly because I didn't want to try and force somebody to speak for an entire community. I don't believe in that. I don't believe because somebody is, is you know, black or somebody is Jewish or somebody is gay, that they are somehow or another representative of the entire group because I don't like grouping people. I don't, I like treating people as individuals. You know, they don't, I have lots of friends that are gay. In fact, I was telling Robin this before the show started. I probably have lots of friends that are gay that I don't know are gay because I don't care. It doesn't bother me. You know, it, you know, I don't look into their private lives. I don't really care. If they're good people. If they're, you know, good to other, if I see them, they're good to other people. They're good with me. I'm good with them. I don't really care what they do in the bedroom and who they, who they choose to love. Um, it's none of my business. And, and somehow or another, we need to ask those folks that are, that are Islamic, why is it your business? Why do you care? Why is it important to your religion to actually threaten these people with stoning and death? You know, is, you know, does your religion need to grow? You know, do you need to think about, you know, starting, you know, a reformation? You know, you know think about how the Christian religions changed since the time it was the Holy Roman emperor that ran the Christian religion, now known as the Pope. Uh, But, you know, that was, that was the title for the Pope, the Holy Roman emperor. And how far has that come since Martin Luther, Martin Luther and um, the Reformation and the changes, everything from, you know, the rebellion of Henry VIII to uh, uh, even the, the more modern um, breakaways of, of the, the Latter-day Saints. You know, how far has, has that changed and morphed and gone beyond what, you know, the Catholic, you know, the Catholic sect is still one of the largest, if not the largest um, Christian sect they don't practice the Inquisition anymore, and they certainly no, don't put astronomers away in towers. <laughs> exactly. No, I think that no matter what your religion is, um, that any religion that says that unless you are or your family is being attacked, that you have the right to end somebody's life. You know, that's why I think everybody should join my religion of the Church of the Holy Donut and believe in peace. <laughs> I actually like the donut hole church, but um, <laughs> but it, yeah, it, it, 
anybody that I mean, you can like Jeremiah write or whatever, preach whatever you want to preach, but it's it's up to you to filter out what message is being said and how you choose to act on it. In my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and it really comes down to um, you know really wanting to to look at the moral and ethical questions even beyond your religion, step outside your religion sometime and look at it carefully and say, you know, is that really the correct thing? Am I being moral and ethical here? Uh, And I I just can't see how killing anybody and then also allowing myself to be killed prematurely can be justified in any moral, ethical ways. You know, it's just it's really difficult. You know, about the only justification is in protecting your own life or others' lives. You know, when it comes to to killing. Uh, you know, and you know, might surprise some people. I'm not a believer in the death penalty because, uh, frankly, I think you know I'm on that side where I would rather let a uh, guilty person go free than put an innocent person in jail. Uh, I don't think governments are flawless, and I don't know, you know, we have the power to say, you know, your, your life should end because of this crime. Uh, life, true life without parole, I think, is a, is a much better sentence than a, than a death sentence, a uh, less costly sentence, and, and ultimately, too, uh, because of the uh, appeals and multiple appeals that, that death sentences gain. Um, so, yeah, that that. That's kind of, uh, you know, because I've stepped out, looked at it. Is it moral and ethical to sentence a person to death? Do I have that ability? You know, can I justify it in some way? I can justify, you know, somebody breaks into my home, they're armed, my family's unarmed, and I'm armed. Um, in that moment, taking that person's life to protect mine and my family's but once that situation's resolved you know you know at the point you're sentencing somebody to death there's no eminent threat so how how, how do you justify the morality of, of taking that life is difficult for me um and change so, his mind the lord yeah if, if, if i was yeah, if I was a truly just, religious person, but we'll get yeah that that's that's a whole other show. Uh, yeah, I think vengeance is the correct phrase, but anyways. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I you know, going back to the original you know topic of the show, uh, I, I do want to express my my deepest sympathies and, and sincere um, hope for healing for. Um, the families of the victims of the Orlando shooting and uh, all the, uh, the injured from that shooting. I hope they, they, they uh, heal and get better. Um, it'll take a lot of time because this was a horrific crime. And, and unfortunately, a crime driven uh, apparently by religion one way or another. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, if, if there's some deep thought and thinking in the Islamic faith about where their religion is relative to homosexuality and whether they you know, should continue the, some of their tenets as they are, I hope they look deep into their religion and start changing. But it sure seems in the last century they've gone backwards rather than forwards. So with a couple somber thoughts there, I'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week on the Bo's Nose Show. Remember, you can email us in between at talk at krbnradio.net if you want to comment on this week's show or suggest a topic for a future show. And uh, I hope you um, we provoked a few thoughts with you this week. Uh, next week, hopefully, we'll get a lighter topic and uh, have a little bit more fun. But I think we'll call it a night from uh, here in downtown Elmira, Oregon. Uh, where it is still another beautiful day in the Pacific Northwest. And I want to thank you for listening to the Bose Nose Show. 
good evening and good night.